So we're in a series right now where we're talking about how God has the ability to change things in an instant, right? In a moment. And uh, with how our current world situation is, God, we would like that to happen right now, right? We are all in this place where I think for a lot of people, it's a struggle right now to find hope in the situation. Every conversation turns into how everything's going in the world today, and it's frustrating. And so it's understandable that people are frustrated. But I want to say again that God can change things in an instant. He can turn things around. You know, when we read the Old Testament, we read the stories of how God can transform an entire nation in the matter of a day, the matter of a moment. It's got to give us hope to know that he can transform our nation in the matter of a moment. He is more powerful than, than, than our current political climate or our current um, health situation. God is greater than those things. And I love that we get to read in the Word that what actually happened and how God can do that. You know, we've been spending the last few weeks, and we're going to again today, talking about specific individuals whose lives were changed and rearranged, who were transformed by God in, in, just, in just a moment. And uh, so anyway, quick recap. We've talked about a few people so far. We talked about Jacob, Gideon, Elijah, and you remember Blind Bart, Blind Bartimaeus last week. And, uh, and so Jacob, Jacob, if you, if you remember, he was renamed by God. He was, his new name God gave him was Israel. Have you ever heard the name Israel before, right? So God not only renamed Jacob Israel, but he told Jacob and he followed through. He said, I'm going to name everyone, all of my people, the name Israel after you. Now you would think if God was going to do that for somebody, use somebody's name to name all of his people, that, that Jacob would have been a pretty squeaky clean guy, that he would have had a good track record. But we actually see the complete opposite. Jacob is this guy who is a liar. He's a cheater. He's a thief. He's no good. He's lived his life in, in this terrible way for years. So why in the world would God choose Jacob to name all his people after? I believe it's because God knows that he can transform people. That, that God, that what happens with Jacob is he decides to start following what God starts speaking into his life. And God transforms him. And I think it actually makes sense that God named all of his people Israel after Jacob, the guy who was transformed, because my God's a God of transformation. My God's the kind of God who can turn any situation upside down and get anybody right back on the track that he wants them to be on just like that. Okay, the next person we talked about was Gideon. You remember, he was the weakest guy, part of the smallest, weakest clan in all of Israel. And, and so God comes to him and say, calls him a mighty warrior. And he's like, me? This guy? And he's like, I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm a mess, right? And God says, no, you're a mighty warrior. And you are going to be the one to lead out an army against the enemy. You remember how big the enemy was? More than could be numbered, which means it was greater than a million soldiers, because there's an army in the Bible that was numbered at a million. And God gives Gideon only 300 guys and says, I want you to march out against the enemy. And God goes before Gideon, and Gideon never even has to pull a sword out of his sheath. He just has to obey God. And God destroys the enemy before him. It's pretty amazing to see the weakest become a mighty warrior and a mighty leader that everybody wants to rally around. Because he follows God's leading. 
And then two weeks ago, we talked about Elijah. You guys remember Elijah, right? He's the guy who uh, prayed that God would uh, burn this altar. He's, he's like in a competition with the prophets of Baal, the pagan god. And God sends this huge pillar of fire out of heaven, and it lights up the, the altar and burns everything away and burns up that altar too. And then they destroy all these prophets of Baal. They execute all these, these pagan uh, ministers and leaders. And, and so he sees this unbelievable, incredible thing happen right before his eyes, God showing how powerful he is. In the very next moment, he runs and he's hiding, afraid, in a cave, and afraid he's going to die because of one death threat. And I'd imagine he'd have a lot of people who'd have death threats on him, but just one, and he runs and he hides and he gets alone. And guys, when we're alone, that is the most dangerous place to be. When we're alone, the devil will tell you things about you that aren't true. The devil will tell you that you're not good enough. That you'll never make it. Alone is right where the devil wants you to be. I, uh, I'll tell a quick story. Um, my wife and I have said that we would never get chickens. Anybody ever think about getting chickens? Anybody ever have chickens out there? Okay, a couple people. Okay. We're like, we're not chicken people. But this spring, I just decided one day that we were. <laughs> And so I, I, got, I got us 10 chickens. I didn't get chickens. I got guinea hens. So they're like a chicken, but weirder. And, uh, they, and they're loud and ridiculous. Like all day long. Like last night, I was trying to watch a movie with all the doors and windows closed. And I had to turn the volume up because they're like, bah, 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 bah. they're totally insane. I, I don't know why I did this, but I did. And so we have these chickens. And we've done our best to try to uh, raise them in the way they should go. And so when they're old, they will not depart from the Lord. No, uh, no, we, we've done our best to try to keep them safe. But, you know, as it is living out in the woods, uh, a few of them met their maker. And uh, so we have seven left. We have seven. And now they're out in the coop and this thing, and they run wild all day. And at night, they go back in the coop by themselves, and we just come out and we close the door because uh, of the predators. And so I noticed a couple of days ago that six of the guinea hens decided they didn't like one, and they won't hang out with the one anymore. Like, when the one comes close, they all run away and then start eating again and leave the one behind. It's really sad. I think I can actually see the sadness in a chicken. I'm the whisperer, Dr. Doolittle. Call me Dr. Doolittle. And so I'm like, no. But they do like me, I think. <laughs> anyway, I feel bad for this chicken. And so last night, you know, it rained pretty hard last night at our house. Last night, uh, it's dark out. I go out there to check on the chickens to close up the coop, and I look in. There's only six. I'm looking around. And I noticed there was one squawking by itself for quite a while. Sure enough, it was the one. And I searched all over the yard. I couldn't find it. So I closed the coop. Now, things aren't going to go real well for that chicken. You know what's going to happen to that chicken. To my pure amazement this morning, I, after that big thunderstorm in our house, pouring rain, there's a very wet chicken standing there next to the coop trying to get in. But you and I both know that chicken ain't going to last long. Now let me make a chicken story spiritual. You need to get in the coop and get with the group. Because if you are alone... The devil goes around like a roaring raccoon. <laughs> and you're going to get eaten. <laughs> Isn't that so good? We should just all go home right now. 
I would say we could all go to a restaurant, but they won't let a group our size go there together. Anyway, we have more than one table. Uh, but anyway, I mean, come on. It's, it's a great analogy, and it's true. It's actually happening as we speak. That, that chicken doesn't have long to live because it's alone. But you know what? Like Elijah, Elijah went and he was alone. And then he thought, I, I just want to die. Life isn't worth living. You know, and there's so, there's so many people in that place. But God's like, wait a second, Elijah. That's not your life plan. Don't you think my plan is greater than, than what you're in right now? And by the way, Elijah, there's a whole coop full of people back in Jerusalem, 7,000 of them that you could go and be with who would lift you up and support you. So we got to get together with people. By the way, small groups are going to be starting in a couple weeks. You could get in a coop with a group, all right? <laughs> Shameless plug. And, uh, and, and so, so God is for us, and he is with us. We're not alone. Brings me to the last person, blind Bartimaeus. We talked about him last week. Blind Bartimaeus, he was born blind. He was told by everybody that he was worthless, that he'd never amount to anything. They thought he was so worthless that they gave him a coat that labeled him as a loser. A coat from the government that said, you are so worthless that you'll never amount to anything, so we will allow you to legally beg for money because you'll never live on your own. You're that much of a waste of life. This is what he's told. And then Jesus walks into the scene, and Bartimaeus calls out for Jesus, and the people around him tell him to be quiet. But Jesus has people around him who call back to Bartimaeus and say, Bartimaeus, get up. Come over here. Jesus does want you. You are valuable. You do matter. And i got to ask you today, who are the people that you're around, and what are they telling you? Bartimaeus had to leave those people behind in order to get with people who are running in God's direction. It was the disciples that called out to Bartimaeus and said, get over here, you need to come be with us. And Bartimaeus is healed, and not only that, it says that he followed Jesus all the way until Jesus was on that cross. That he was there, that he said he followed him, and right from Jericho there, they went right into Jerusalem, and everything that played out that Jesus said was going to play out. Who's speaking into your life? Because if you have the right people in your life and you decide you're going to follow what God's saying, things are going to change. Today I want to talk about another individual in the New Testament, and his name's Nicodemus. So why don't we pray and I'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for today and for every person that's in this room. Thank you that we have your word. God, thank you that you inspired people back then to record the history of what happened in the Old Testament with the Israelites in the New Testament with Jesus, and in the New Testament with the Holy Spirit leading people. And God, we, we just pray that as we get into your word and we read the history, the account of what happened with Nicodemus, God, that, that it brings it right to our world today, that it's not about the world then, it's about our world we're living in. Speak to us about how we can live and how we can navigate this life living for you. God, give us ears that hear your voice, hearts that understand your words, and minds that want to live out the words that you're speaking to us. And God, let, let what I say today be what you need me to say. Help me to navigate what you've given me to say today in a way that would bring you glory. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen, amen. amen. So, I want to give you the set. Well, actually, before I give you the setting for this scripture, I want to just say, I had somebody say, didn't you just talk about Nicodemus? Didn't you just, uh, didn't you just do this? And I'm like, uh, I, I did. I talked about Nicodemus. It wasn't that long ago. And I, and I was like, oh, yeah, and I... But I'm going to talk about different stuff. And I, talk, I, I remember I talked about this and that. And they're like, I don't know. And they're like second guessing me. What? And then I realized it was Pastor Keith who talked Nick. In, he taught that, the message Nick at night back in February. 
And I was like, it wasn't me. It was Pastor Keith. I was reciting all of his points that he had said. And I was like, isn't that creepy? Pastor Keith and I are on the same plane right there. We think we're each other. It's, it's a weird thing. But uh, anyway, so we're going to double down on Nicodemus today. And I hope you're ready for it. And if you're not, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. So, so here's the setting. I mean, it's going to be good, I think. So here's the setting of, what, um, of what's happening when Nicodemus' story plays out. So Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's the time of year where they celebrate Passover. Everybody say Passover. So to give you some history, Passover is uh, one of the celebrations that they did during the year. And, and it was there because they celebrated the time when the angel of death, you remember the plagues in Egypt where Moses was trying to lead God's people out of Egypt? The last plague was the angel of death. And, and God sent this angel and it would kill the firstborn in every household, the firstborn child of every household. And God said, if you will paint uh, the lamb's blood on the doorposts of your house, when the angel of death comes, he will pass over your house and you will live. Okay, so that's where they got the name Passover for this celebration. It was a time where they came together to celebrate that God had done what he had done to get them out of Egypt. Okay, and so, so anyway, um, this, is this, this is the scene. So what happens this time of year, and it, it happens even now this time of year, is people, they, they do a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And they did it then to offer sacrifices to God and to celebrate what God had done. And so the city was filled with people. I mean, it was, the city was way bigger than its normal size. People were camped in tents all over the place. The streets were filled with people. And so Jerusalem was at like max capacity. And this is when Nicodemus' story happens. It's in John 3, and we'll start in verse 1. It says, now there was a Pharisee. Everybody say Pharisee. Pharisee. So a Pharisee is a teacher of the law, or what you might today call a pastor, somebody who teaches people how to live according to God's word. Okay, so there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jew Jewish ruling council, okay, which is also known as the Sanhedrin. So if you ever hear that word Sanhedrin, this is the, these are the Pharisees and, and, and the Sadducees, which are just two different names for the religious leaders of that time that were part of this council that really decided on major matters of religion. So he had worked hard for this. He was, he was an elite. He had done everything right in his life according to what God's word said in the Old Testament. What Moses' words were, were written all in the, the beginning of the Bible that we now know today. And so he did all of this, and, and so he's part of this council. Verse 2 says, he came to Jesus when? At night. And why would he come at night? It's because the city is full of all of these people. It's packed with people, and he's somebody that everybody knows. Because he sits on this seat of authority in front of everyone. And Jesus, by the way, was a problem. And they didn't like Jesus. They didn't want Jesus there. So if he would went in the daylight, all of these people in the city would have seen him walk in to see Jesus. And he would have been in big trouble right away for going and seeing the guy that, that everybody was, all the Jewish leaders were saying was an enemy. And so he, in the middle of the night, sneaks out and he goes and he finds Jesus. And this is what happens, okay? He gets to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So this is uh, Nick. I'm, I'm going to call him Nick. Is that all right? Can I call him Nick? We're, we'll change it up. I'll use a couple different names. Maybe I'll call him Nicky later in the message. I don't know. But this is, uh, this is Nick's way of saying, how do you have all this power? Because 
remember Nick had done everything he, everything he could through his whole life to be as perfectly religious and perfectly righteous as he could. He otherwise would have never been in this seat in the ruling council. And so he's thinking, listen, I've done everything that I can do in all of my power since I was a baby and, and doing everything that I could do to, to be as spiritual as possible, yet I can't do the things you could do. How is it that you could heal somebody? How is it that you could, you could bring, bring somebody's sight back? Remember, Barnabas was probably there traveling with Jesus, and he's thinking, man, I've been to Jericho because I'm a leader in this. I'm going there to help you know, like mentor some of the rabbis over there, and I walked through the gates, and I saw that guy. He was blind last week. How in the world is Bartim- blind Bartimaeus here, and where's his coat at? And he's thinking, man... I I can obviously see that you have something that I don't have, and I want to know more about it. So this is is exactly what happens. So in in verse 3, Jesus replied. He says this, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God, so you can't understand it, unless you've been born again. How many people have heard that phrase before, born again? Now, I grew up in a church, and my dad was a pastor, and he would say that all the time, you've got to be born again. And and I was always like, huh? What, What is that? You know, what? What's that supposed to mean? And that's kind of, I think, how Nick was feeling. He was thinking about this whole born-again thing because he says this in verse 4. He says, how can someone be born again when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I was about to do hand motions, and I stopped right there. Uh, You saw my hands go up. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. Um, But he's like, how is this possible? What are you talking about? Because he's thinking physical, right? So Jesus answers in verse 5, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. It says, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised by me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And, And how can it be? Nicodemus says, he's still confused. He still doesn't understand what Jesus is saying, because again, he feels like he's notched off everything off every list he's ever had to in his whole life. How could there be more? Everybody say more. But this is what Jesus is trying to explain, that there is more. And so uh, I'm, we're going to skip a couple verses because I just basically paraphrased it. And we're going to go to verse 14. So this is how Jesus responds to his question of, what do you mean? He says this, he says, Just as Moses lifts up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So Jesus, in in pure Jesus way, totally confuses everybody nowadays. <laughs> like, I need more clarity, and Jesus says something about a snake, and we're, and we're like, what? But you see, you and I, we don't understand that unless we do a bunch of digging in the Bible to figure out what he's talking about. But Nicodemus knows exactly what he's talking about, because if, you're a, if you are a Jewish child, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible word for word. Do you imagine that? You had to memorize it. Do you know that still today, if you are a Jew, and you want, you want to go through all the process of, of, of being like, like a, a full-fledged Jew in Israel. You have to memorize all five books, the first five books of the Bible, word for word, and be able to recite every word. You guys want to start doing that here? Why don't we, Next week, we're going to start that. So I'm going to get up, and I'll say it. You repeat it. We'll do that a few times, and then you can come on stage and do it in front of everybody. Does that sound good? No, of course not. 
But, but Nicodemus, he knew all of that history. He, again, because he grew up that way, he knew exactly what Jesus was talking about, or at least what story he was referring to. So let me fill you in. So here's what, here's what happened. Moses is, so you can go back to, the, we're going to read it in a second, but it's in the book of, don't go to the, the scripture yet, but it's in, the, in Numbers, in the beginning of the Bible. And so Moses is leading people through the wilderness uh, to, to the promised land, right? And the people are grumbling against God. And so God, as a punishment for their complaining, sends snakes to like come up to their encampment and bite people. Doesn't this sound great? To bite people, and people are getting bitten by these poisonous snakes, and they're dying. And so people start to realize that this is a punishment from the Lord, and they're like, God, we are sorry. And they go to Moses, they're like, tell God we're sorry. Something's got to happen, something's got to change, we're dying from snake bites out here. So, this is, so, so Moses prays to the Lord, and this is the Lord's response to him in Numbers 21.8. It says, the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Put a snake on a stake. Anyone who's bitten can look at it, and they'll live. Verse 9, so Moses made a bronze snake and put it on, up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake on the pole, on, on, on a stick, they would live. Rewind John 13, 14. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus was literally saying... Just as a snake was put on a pole so everybody could see it and be saved from death, I'm going to be put up on a pole for everybody to see so that they could be saved. Jesus is literally foreshadowing exactly what was going to happen in just a few days, word for word. I think that's amazing. That, like, I feel like when you start to understand some of the reasons why things were said in the Bible, it brings all new understanding. It gives me chills when I, when, I, when I come to those kind of moments, right? It's interesting. Another thought here, kind of side note, but interesting. With Moses, the people were dying from snake bites. So what was put on the stake? A snake, right? With us today, we die... We fail because of our humanity, because of our sinful humanity. So with Jesus, what was put up on the cross? Humanity. Jesus came in human form to pay the price once for all. So Nicodemus is like, whoa. So the way people were healed from the snake bite was something that physically couldn't be done, but was done in some way that has to be spiritual. And so Jesus is saying, there's more. And it goes beyond what you can do on your own. So then Jesus says this, the most famous Bible verse in history, the most commonly repeated Bible verse in the world. He says, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Don't forget verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? Save 
to save the world through him. Now, I think this is crazy. You might not think this is crazy. I think it's crazy. The most famous line that Jesus ever said, the thing that is said more often than anywhere else, football players put it on their cleats and they put it on those, the, thing, the eye black under their eyes. It's everywhere. It is like the slogan of what God is done, has, has done for us. And Jesus doesn't tell it to the 5,000 when he's preaching on the mountainside. Jesus doesn't even tell it to the disciples because they're not in the room. You know who Jesus tells it to? Somebody who already thinks they're doing everything right religiously. He says it to somebody who already thinks that they know it all. I think in today's day and age, there's a lot of Christ followers, Christians, who believe they already know it all. What am I going to get out of church? What am I going to get out of that? I already know that. The problem is, is if any of us get to the point where we feel like we know it all, that's the point where we stop growing. That's the point where we, where we stop moving in God's direction. God has a faucet that he's trying to turn on to fill you up. But, but the moment that you say you know it all is when, he, when the faucet gets turned down. Let me tell you this, I don't know it all. I do not know it all. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with saying that. That's why I tell you every week, don't take my word for it. You need to go and study this out on your own. Because I don't know it all. And I'm okay with that. But, but if you think you know it all, you will shut off what God wants to do. Let me give you a, a quick example. Probably many parents in this room. Definitely many children in this room. I mean, we've all been a child once. But, uh, but if you're a parent and you've ever had to discipline your kids, you know that the best way to do that is to sit and explain to them why they're getting punished and the thing that they've done wrong. And, and so you know what the most frustrating thing as a parent is? Is when you're telling them that and they cut you off and they go, I know. No, you don't know. Because if you knew, we wouldn't be here right now. Because right now, it's because you don't know, I'm going to make you know. <laughs> and so, so, and if you don't figure it out this time and you don't know next time, I'm going to make you know again, right? <laughs> like, like, don't tell me that you know, because the moment that a kid says that to the, to the adult, to the parent who's disciplining them, and they go, I know, they're, what they're doing is they're shutting off learning. They're shutting off learning. They're shutting off the chance to get more, to grow more. Thinking you know everything is the end to your personal growth. So we need to get to a place where, like Nicodemus, we want more. Everybody say, I want more. Well, God has more for you, but you have to want it. You know, and, and honestly, where most of the Pharisees were at, and the reason why we see this budding heads of Jesus and the Pharisees all through uh, the beginning of the New Testament, is because they all thought they already knew. And they didn't like this guy who was saying that there was more. They didn't like this guy who was spending all, going, spending all his time going around from city to city telling people that there was more. They didn't like that. Jesus, by the way, was not refuting that what they were doing was wrong as far as the way that they were trying to honor and worship God. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, you Pharisees, you're, bunch, you're, you're all wrong about everything. No, he was just saying, guys, but there's more. There's more. Do you want more? I'm sure... Some of you, each week when I've introduced who I'm going to talk about, have gone, oh, I know this story already. Well, the moment you do that is the moment you shut off from, from more learning. I'm going to be honest with you. It doesn't matter how many times you read a scripture, God will speak something new to you. 
I'm teaching a message about Nicodemus. Keith taught about Nicodemus in, in February in a completely different thing that God laid on my heart to share with you than what he shared. I mean, I, I kind of feel bad sometimes talking about Joseph. I'm like, oh, they're going to go, he's talking about Joseph again. But I could teach on Joseph's story every Sunday for an entire year, maybe two years, and probably teach, you, to teach something different out of the story of Joseph every single Sunday, and you'd be real tired of it. That's what we'll do, year of Joe. That's what we'll do. Start, starting January 1, right? But, but the thing is, you don't know what, what God's put on my heart. You don't know what God's going to say. So it's worth opening up your Bible, and it's worth getting into the Word, and it's worth listening to preachers who are speaking the Word, because God wants to bring more. Everybody say more. Have you ever heard the statement, you know, what I said fell on deaf ears? Right? You heard that before? I think the Bible is pretty clear. I think there's scripture that say, let me have ears that hear. Let me have ears that hear. So I want to take my last uh, little bit here to talk about areas where current Christ followers could have ears that hear. And maybe you're not a Christ follower today. That's okay. You could be. I'll give you that. Uh, I'll walk you through that opportunity at the end of the service. But but if you're a Christ follower in here today, or you have said that you are, I want to talk about some things that, that we can do to have ears that hear. Or things maybe not that we can do, but we can understand. First one is this, is that there's a big difference between ritual and spiritual. There's a big difference between going through the motions and letting, letting God's Spirit lead you. You know, Nicodemus comes to Jesus thinking he knows all the rules. Well, knowing that he knows all the rules. He's one of the best at them. And the Hebrew faith was all about uh, celebrations and festivals and sacrifices and all these things. And if you did all these things, then you were righteous. It's all ritual, ritual, ritual. But Jesus explains to him in just a moment, he says, there's something more. There's something more than just going through the motions and checking that festival off your list so that you can be, have atonement or, or you know, forgiveness for a year. This is evident when uh, Jesus talks about the wind. Excuse me, let me read this to you again. John 3, 5 says, Jesus answered, Very truly, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Now that's not talking about water baptism. The water part is talking about flesh born as a, as a person. And then the second part is as it, out of the spirit. Okay, And then it says in verse 6, Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So in a nutshell, the rituals are empty without God's Spirit being part of them. And a lot of Christians are walking away from their faith because they feel like the rituals that they've been doing are empty. Now, our church is, a, is quite a blend of people from all kinds of different backgrounds of church. Denominational church, Catholic church, some non-denominational people. And, but, but, so we have this interesting situation in our church family of people who've, who've come from all kinds of different walks of Christian faith, and many of those filled with ritual. And there's a lot of people I talk to who are like, you know, it, it just felt like, it was pointless. It was just a ritual. It was just a, it's just a going through the motions every week. And they're like, and then, and then I felt something different. No, they say, I felt something, not I saw something. 
<laughs> not, not you, the, you know, it was publicized or something like that. I felt something different. And Jesus says, you know, you can't see the wind, but you can see how the wind changes things. And when people say, I felt something different, you can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can feel it. You can experience it. You can watch how it changes nations or people, family members. You know, I, I have witnessed God, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, change people in ways that I, I thought was impossible. There's a... Um, kind of a retreat weekend thing that we we have a lot of people that have been going to called the return and there's a women's one called reflect and uh i went on this back in february and i we were pastor paul and i were down in dallas texas for us and we were about an hour outside of dallas and on the first night there was a young man there that i and i can't i won't tell you everything that happened that that wouldn't be right you know for for him but i looked at paul and said that guy's gonna walk back to dallas ain't no way that guy's staying here all weekend he isn't, I mean, that guy is as far, as far can be from God. There is not, and I said, I, I would love to be proven wrong, but that, it ain't, it ain't going to happen with that guy. And yet in a couple days, Shane was there. I've never seen somebody so on fire for the Lord in my life. I mean, this guy, hands in the air, jumping up and down, praying for people, thanking God for things in his life that I didn't think he even knew were there. I mean, it was, that wasn't anybody's physical doing. That was the effects the wind and the spirit of the Holy Spirit. So Nicodemus goes to Jesus and Jesus starts telling him that there's more. That there's more than the rituals. That you got to put God's spirit with the rituals. I don't think the rituals in denominational churches are wrong. But God's spirit's got to be connected to those things in here. They got to be there. And there are lots of people who are part of those churches, and they're good churches, who the Spirit of God is moving alive and well in in those things that they're doing, but it's because they've welcomed the more into their lives, right? So what happens to Nicodemus, and what my second point is, is that the boundaries of what he knows just got bigger, right? His, the boundaries of, of your world, if you want more from God and you go to God like Nicodemus did and say, God, I want more, they go from what you know and suddenly you begin to see things get different and God do bigger things and greater things and, th- and that God has more for you. We see this in, Nicodem- in Nicodemus' life because uh, when, when the Sanhedrin says, hey, let's just silently murder Jesus. Get the cops. They, they had the cops in, in their back pocket. It was a corrupt system. And they, had, they, had gotten, they said to the cops, we want you to, you know, the, the soldiers, we want you to go and get Jesus and just murder him in the dark. And he stands up in front of all of his peers and says, absolutely not. That's not the way this should be. We need to give, like he, he's standing up against people that, that he thought he had to be just like. But he had to leave those things behind in order to be transformed by God. So he knows something's different. He knows he, he, there's more, and he wants that more, right? He wants that more. So could you imagine, just a few days later, Nicodemus standing right in front of where Jesus is about to be crucified? Because he's part of the Sanhedrin, who would have been front and center to see the execution. And as he's watching Jesus be lifted up on the cross for all to see, 
he remembers Jesus saying, just like the snake will be raised for all to see and be healed, so the Son of God will be raised for all to be saved. And he's looking and going. So the spiritual thing that happened that saved the people who were snake bitten, Jesus just did that thing for me. And he leaves it all behind. He leaves his old life behind. Because in that moment, when Jesus dies, he says, I want to take care of Jesus. I want to give him the proper burial. And in doing that, he sided with the enemy of the Sanhedrin. So he had to leave his identity, all the work that he put in, everything that made him him, his livelihood, probably his, his living place, because he probably lived in part of that compound. All of, He had to leave it all behind to be connected with Jesus. Kind of like blind Bartimaeus, right? Get away from the people who are holding you back and get towards people who are running for Jesus. Hmm. So I don't know about you. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what church you started at or maybe this is your first one. That's cool. Welcome. But if it's been all about ritual, which is easy to do, and even in non-denominational church, guys, Sunday morning becomes ritual. Kind of like how they had to travel to Jerusalem seven times a year for these big festivals. Now, Sunday morning is your travel to Jerusalem. Okay, I go there, check it off in the morning. Give up, Got to give up half my Sunday and then, and then go on with my week so I can notch it off the list. If that's been the way you've been living, Jesus is telling you, like he told Nicodemus, there's more. Do you want more? Because God wants to expand the boundaries of what you understand about your faith. He wants to do things that you never thought were possible. If you'll do those things, if you'll follow him, if you'll trust him, if you'll go to him and say, I want more, things are going to change. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for every person in this room. God, I thank you that they have a, you have a plan for their life. You have a direction it's supposed to go in and that no matter where they're at right now, you see them as valuable and that you, you know you can transform their situation to get them on path to where you want them to go. God, for many of us who are believers, but we've slipped into ritual instead of spiritual, God, I pray that, that your spirit will come back into the situation as we seek you. God, I pray that for many of us, we run to you, whether it's in the, in the day or in the night like Nicodemus. And that we'll say, God, we want more. Give us more. Show me more. Use me more. I want more. God, I pray that you pour it out in our lives. Turn the faucet on full, full blast. And God, I pray that, that, that all of us as individuals seeking you will come together and see you do mighty things in ways that you've never been done before. God, you can change everything today. With everybody's eyes closed, if you're here and you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that God has a plan for you. A lot of people think of uh, salvation or making Jesus Lord as, you, you know, your ticket to not go to hell. Well, there, there's truth to that. Eternal life with the Lord is part of it. But God doesn't want you to have to live hell here and wait to go to heaven. God wants you to live heaven on earth right now. And he's got a plan for you and a direction for you. But you have to choose to make Jesus Lord of your life. The Bible's real clear. That you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, that he really is God and that he really has a plan for you. So if that's you and you want to start living the God life that he has for you right now, the life that God planned for you, 
I want to give you that opportunity. So with everybody's eyes closed, if that's you and you know it, you want to do this today, raise your hand up. Is there anybody that knows this? Okay, I see those hands. Awesome. Could you look up at me if you raise your hand? Would you be willing to just meet with me with everybody's eyes closed? Come up here and let's pray together. We're all going to pray together. And, uh, and so the Bible's, again, really clear. We just need to confess that Jesus is Lord, all right? So we're going to pray together, and then I love to talk to you after service, okay? All right, so everybody, if you would with me, I'll pray together, repeat after me, and you're going to confess that Jesus is Lord of your life today, okay? All right, let's bow our heads, let's pray. Everyone say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for forgiveness. Today I choose to make Jesus Lord of my life. I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to live your way. So lead me into the life you created for me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.